Greetings, trainers, and welcome to episode three of Soundproof here in the, I don't know, fifth, sixth week of our operation here. My name is Brendan Lewis. I go by Mr. MrBDog46 on Twitter and other associated forums, and I am joined by Jake Muller, my good friend who goes by Major Bowman. Uh, on the internet as well, and we are back here with episode three. Uh, Jake, I'm pretty excited. It, it just keeps on rolling here. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I don't really see a reason that we shouldn't keep going. You know, the ball well, started rolling a few weeks me. ago. Don't put that on me. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you sound like I'm implicating both of us here. Right. We actually had a big fight this week where I was like, Jake, it has to stop. And Jake was like, I, no, yeah, we have he, to go he, he really tried to quit, and I said, Brendan, <laughs> we signed a contract. We know we have two years of this. At We're least. making too much money to give up now. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a big legal conundrum if either of us try to stop now, so we just got to keep pushing. So anyway, welcome to episode three. We're still stuck kind of in limbo here uh, as far as live events go as we approach Worlds here. And of course, this is uh, going to be the second to last episode before Worlds. So in two weeks, we will be covering uh, Worlds a little bit more extensively. And of course, it is going to seep into a lot of the discussions that we have here this week. Uh, but as far as content for right now, for you, our listeners, we do have a couple of online tournaments that did occur uh, over the past week or so. So there are actually some results other than just the showdown ladder to talk about, which is pretty yeah. exciting. Um, so we will go over, of course, the ladder. And then uh, the Mount Silver circuit wrapped up, I believe, this past week and had a couple of pretty good players in it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, of course, the famous and latest Zelda challenge, which will be the uh, money going towards the World Championship uh, in this installment of it did occur. And those tournaments are always well attended, so... We'll give some coverage on that as well. Yep, and then after that, we will be joined by our good friend Thomas Valentine Cooleen, who you all know and love by now, uh, purveyor of ducks and psychic types in the past few years. And so uh, we're going to have him on to talk about how archetypes progress throughout formats. Uh, it's a topic that we're both pretty interested in. Uh, it's something we wanted to talk about because, you know, a lot of people are known for certain archetypes throughout formats. Obviously, Tommy being uh, the king of ducks in 2017 is a very good example. And so uh, we're going to get to pick his brain about, you know, why he picks certain archetypes, how he adjusts them throughout formats, and, you know, why he chooses to stick with them and, uh, as opposed to ditching them for something else. All right. And I think that'll be pretty cool. He's somebody, I, I mean, I think I was talking to you about this the other day, Jake, and I had a very long discussion um, uh, on the car ride back from Nationals, and Tommy was able to give, like, a very almost excessive level of detail into <laughs> the building of Sunny D, which is, yeah. uh, I guess infamous would be the correct word to use at this point, Probably although that would word. be yeah. much to his dismay, uh, format <laughs> from, dismay from 2016 world. So anyway, um, he's got a lot of cool thoughts as far as uh, team construction, archetype development, and, uh, you know, format values and stuff like that. So I think uh, he'll have a lot of cool things to say to us. Yeah. But until then, we will jump into uh, this episode's rendition of The Ladder's Greatest Hits. And Jake, one of the first things I noticed is that uh, we're starting to uh, have uh, less and less teams available as far as replays go, uh, which is kind of to be expected given that we are in prime world's testing season and people are trying to keep stuff close to the vest. Right. So last week we pulled the first 25 available teams from The Ladder and we got a to about the number 50 on the ladder before we got to 25. Uh, and this week, we also got to about 50 on the ladder before we got to 20 teams. Uh, we dropped it down to 20 just in the interest of time, but we still have about the same coverage on the ladder. And so you, know, you can tell there that's, you know, what, a 20% drop in the number of teams available. So 
People definitely trying to keep their techs hidden before Worlds, very understandably, as Worlds is the most important uh, tournament of the year. Uh, I mean, unless you're trying to get on the snowball, in which case you could argue the Open is the most important tournament the, of the season. But anyway... Uh, well, that's next season, Brendan. Let's get it straight. <laughs> you didn't specify which season. But of course, <laughs> number one on our show and number six on the ladder this week is a team featuring Xerneas Lunala, Kangaskhan, Tapufini, Incineroar, and Crobat. So a pretty standard complementary uh, four to go along with Xerneas Lunala here. Yeah, somewhat unremarkable. This is a team you look at and say, oh yeah, I see what they're trying to do. It's just a Xerneas Lunala team. A little bit less offensive than like the Tapu Lele Lucario versions, but still very much intent on sending up that Xerneas and Lunala. Mm-hmm. I think Crobat's kind of interesting here. We're not going to spend too much time on every team. Uh, I had to stop myself there, Jake. I'm sorry. That wasn't <laughs> an indictment of you. But Crobat, kind of like uh, if you slap a mental herb on it and you know give it something like Quick Guard is even kind of a nice answer to Tornadus, which is still kind of all over the place. Yeah, um, definitely. So kind of interesting in that guard. And at number 10 here is a team of Rayquaza, Kyogre, Tapufini, Incineroar, Nihiligo, and Ferrothorn. So maybe not a six I've exactly seen, but not a six I'm shocked to see. It's a six you've probably exactly seen if you replace the Kyogre with the Xerneas. This oh, team yeah. straight up looks <laughs> like it's an X-ray team that someone just threw a whale on. <laughs> I think and it's actually just one mon off of Pato's team if you replace right, Ferrothorn, Ferrothorn as well. So. Right. So a lot of uh, common cores starting to show up here, regardless yeah. of restricted uh, pairing, although I guess they do go with Rayquaza pretty well here. Right. The next team at number 13 here... A team of Xerneas, Kyogre, Kangaskhan, Incineroar, Tornadus, and Amoongus. And this is kind of an interesting team to me, Jake, because I don't remember if it was our first or second week here, but we kind of talked about how maybe Tornadus was going to work its way onto uh, Xerneas, Kyogre teams eventually. And with the Kangaskhan there and everything, this looks almost exactly like I would expect uh, a Xerneas uh, or a Kyogre version of a Kang Torn team to look like. Yeah, I think that was last time. Uh, yeah. I, it was during this segment where we found a couple teams with Zernogre and maybe one with Torn, but this, is, I think, is a very well-fleshed-out version of you know, Zernogre with the Tornadus because uh, I think it has everything you need to support both Xerneas and Kyogre, and uh, Tornadus really does both of those well, I think. Definitely. And at number 19 here is our first Lunala Rayquaza team of the week after it showed up strongly the previous episode. Uh, and it features Tapu Koko, Incineroar, Stack Attacka, and Amoongus. So a pretty common, again, pretty common four supporters for that Rayquaza-Lunala restricted combo. It's another, like, if you replace Lunala with Kyogre, that would also be, like, a really strong Rayogre yeah. team. Yeah, so it it, I, it's kind of interesting that a lot of these Rayquaza teams, the second restricted is pretty flexible. I think that just kind of speaks to Rayquaza's strengths because it just fits on so many different team compositions. Yeah, it's an incredibly good Pokemon. And the fact that it's a, a kind of a, a pairing like Rayquaza Lunala, you very rarely see those restricted pairs uh, without Kyogre or Groudon in some capacity, right? And I think it's that's that kind of... that bias that I just very clearly spelled out as almost gone as a result of Rayquaza being yeah. so good is that it feels like a, a primal like it was in 2016 maybe isn't mandatory anymore. Right. Yeah, moving down to the list, number 24 is our fifth team of the week, and it is a Necrozma, Duskmane, Kyogre, Gyarados, Tapu Lele, Incineroar, and Amoongus. That's a cool team. I think that's really neat. Yeah. Um, I think Gyarados is a Pokemon that a lot of people have. It, it even showed up uh, way back in 2016 as like one of those weird meme x-ray partners <laughs> um, yep. and it's something that people like in theory just works so well in restricted formats but maybe just doesn't hasn't been able to get itself there just yet but this is a pretty cool stab at it i think 
No, I agree. I think it's kind of cool. I, I think this Necrozma could very well be uh, Ultra. I think with Tepu Lele, it would I make would a expect, little bit more yeah. sense. I think there are some other dust main teams that scream Trick Room uh, non-Ultra a little bit, but this one makes a little bit more sense with you know, Gyarados, Tepu Lele being more a fast offensive Pokemon. Agreed. And at number 25 here, Xerneas, Lunala, Lucario, Tapu Lele, Incineroar, Smeargle. And at number 26 here, Necrozma, <laughs> Duskbane, Kyogre, Salamence, Tapu Koko, Tapu Fini, and Incineroar. So again, another Necrozma, Duskbane, but that one doesn't scream ultra or hyper offense so much as the other one does. Yeah, this one's a little bit more, well, it, it seems to be a little bit more you know, slower, bulky uh, Necrozma, I would have guessed at this point. Uh, just because it, it's not accompanied by the Lele. Ultra Necrozma without Lele is a little bit disappointing, uh, but Tepu Fini is a very good partner for Necrozma Duskmane if it just stays in its Duskmane form. Right. And I guess it's nice to even have the opportunity, just because there's not a ton of items, I guess, that Duskmane wants so much, as you may as well right. just throw the Ultra Necrozium on it, but it could feasibly be, I don't know, weakness policy or whatever the heck <laughs> I think Sulcaliums are in, the reasonable item, too, and... just for that oh, first damage point. on Xerneas. Yeah, that's true. And at number 27 here on this week's ladder is Rayquaza, Kyogre, Incineroar, Mimikyu, Celesteela, and Togedemaru. And Rayogre teams, uh, it's kind of you kind of wonder where they're going right now. It, it seems yeah. like based on, at least on the ladder that there hasn't really been a whole bunch of development in the archetype at this point. I mean, we had on this last week too. A lot of the Rayogre teams we're seeing are just kind of smashing together the Rayogre teams that did well at NAIC. Mm -hmm. Like, you got the Mimikyu from, like, the John Evans and that Cruz team. But you have the Celesteela from Wolf and Aaron's team. And then Togemaru just kind of shows up because if you're desperate for a Coco answer, I guess that's what you go with. There it is. It sure is one. And then the first of two back-to-back -back Rayquaza Solgaleo teams features Tapu Coco, Tapu Fini, Incineroar, and Mandibuzz along so uh, alongside Rayquaza and Solgaleo. Yeah, this is kind of a resurgence of that team that won Japanese Nationals. Yeah, uh, like you just said, there's another team yeah. back to back that has that Gastrodon, which is the exact same. The exact so, same team, right? Yeah, it's I, kind of an interesting archetype. I'm not convinced that it's any good. I'll be blunt. <laughs> but, yeah, me I mean, neither. <laughs> but I, I don't really get why it's coming back now, though. Is the thing like it won Japanese Nationals? Sure, it didn't show up at all at NAIC as. I, we probably could have guessed before mm -hmm. NASC started, and then now we're seeing it again on the ladder. I, kind of I an guess. interesting timeline. Yeah, the the combination of Solgaleo and like restricted dragon type have sort of existed for the entire format, where it was right. like kind of smashed onto Zygarde teams, and like you saw it next to stuff like Zekrom um, as a way of you know giving those restricted dragon types a real the, the the teams featuring the restricted dragon types a real Xerneas matchup. Right. Um, so you you see the theory, but Rayquaza like does all right against Xerneas. Like there are plenty of ways that you can give it a Xerneas matchup, whether it be like an offensive item like Choice Band or even Assault Vest to let it sit there. So I guess Solgaleo maybe doesn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't see the need for it. Yeah, um, I agree. But it's cool. Solgaleo is cool. I like to watch them steal strike so I can get behind <laughs> it if it shows up on stream. Anyway, at number 33 is another Rayogre team that does feature Tapu Fini, Incineroar, Ferrothorn, and Togedemaru. Not much to see here. At 37, though, another XY team. I think this is the exact six that we saw on the ladder last week, Jake, that yep. features that support. Uh, even uh, kind of scream Parish Trap 4 of Gengar, Tapu Fini, Incineroar, and Lanerus Therian. Yeah, I think this is just kind of a reskin of the Moon Series XY team that was running mm -hmm. around. I think it cut Dallas and maybe one or two more regionals, but mm -hmm. uh, 
You just get to it, smack Gengar on there now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think Gengar fits really well on a team like that. It, it, you have that pair of shops, and like you said, the Landorus and Cinderor Fini Gengar is a really strong pair of shops. And, but you also have Xerneas for Geomancies, um, Evil Tall for doing some other things. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really understand XY as an archetype in general because I don't really see what Xerneas and Evil Tall do for each other. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, if you're going to use XY, I think this is probably one of the stronger teams. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Xerneas and Veltzal are both good Pokemon, but again, uh, the synergy doesn't necessarily jump out at you. Yeah. Although I guess, like we talked about a little bit last time, you can put that Gengar, Tapufini, and Cinderar Landorus T core next to just about anything right. and like, make it work. So uh, you wonder about how effective the restricted pairing is or if somebody just really, you know, likes that support core. Yeah. Uh, but at 38 is another Rayogre team featuring Gengar, Tapu Koko, Incineroar, and Whimsicott. So Whimsicott, of course, did show up on, uh, you know, the Rayogre Discord uh, Mark II, I guess would be it. Uh, but not alongside Gengar. And that's kind of a pretty traditionally fear fearsome pairing uh, with that, uh, what is it? Wim, Wimgar, Wimgar. I was like, Geng- Wim- <laughs> Wimgar. Gengikot? Wimgar. Gengikot? No, yeah, I, I mean... This kind of seems like, again, like Wayogre teams kind of combining the different decks people have come up with. You know, the the team that did really well in Madison was this six with Stack Attack instead of Gengar, and that mm. showed up at NAIC again. I believe it uh, day two twice with Caleb and Diana. Right. Uh, but then they decided to put the Gengar over Stack Attack, which was used on Wolf and Aaron's team. And so I, I think Wayogre teams are all like very similar to each other at their different stages. And mm-hmm. I think if everyone using Rayogre combined forces, they would come up with like one ultra team that would never need to change. I mean, unless they just played mirrors at every big event. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no. oh, you played a speed set. It has to be. It has to be Shadow Ball Gengar. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> at number thirty-nine on the ladder this week, Xerneas, Lunala, Lucario, Tapulele, Incineroar, and Amoongus. At number forty on the ladder this week is Rayquaza, Kyogre, Tapufini, Incineroar. Bronzong and Togekiss. So kind of the, I guess Togekiss being really the first uh, kind of breaking away from the the Rayogre formula, I guess, so to say. I didn't really get that out so well. (laughs) Yeah, I think Rayogre enjoys Togekiss just because redirection is good with anything, and if you give your Rayquaza free turns, uh, on a a team with redirection, you might think it could be Swords Dance Rayquaza, and Mm. not that that's a necessity at all, but Again, Togekiss, this team has approximately zero Tapu Koko answers, and so I feel like something like Amoongus might be generally better on Rayogre just because you actually have like a built-in Koko check, and it gives you another Xerneas check as well, uh, whereas Togekiss can like Tailwind if it doesn't take an Electric-type move. It Let's doesn't really bury. help you against Xerneas at all unless you can like cheese it with Encore on the turn at Jamancy's or something. So Right. Yeah, kind of. I, I generally I think Amoongus is a little bit better in that slot for a yogurt. I think I would agree, uh, but again, I haven't. I don't know. Togekiss is one of those things. Again, just kind of like I was talking about with uh, what was the other one? I was talking about how it's always oh Gyarados, where it's kind of like better in theory um, right. than yeah. it is in like actual practice. Because uh, I mean, from a little bit of experience using Togekiss, it's always just kind of like in a restricted format. It doesn't have the stats to sit there and redirect more than once or twice. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so down to 41 is another Rayogre that features Scissor, and that is presumably Mega Scissor with Tapu Koko, Tornadus, and Togedemaru. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's another like double steel Rayogre, although the, the two steels are 
some of the worst two you could probably put in those two slots. Togenomaru is fine. <laughs> I mean, Togenomaru is barely a steel type. <laughs> That's true. It's about as much a steel type as Kartana is. I was about to say that. Maybe a little (laughs) little bit bit more of a steel type than Kartana, but barely. (laughs) Right. At number 46 is, I think, the first Xerneas Groudon that's shown up. And that's not to say that there aren't plenty of them in some of the teams that we missed. But this one being uh, Xerneas, Groudon, Gengar, Incineroar, Landorus, Therian, and Amoongus. So somebody take that core that we were just talking about with the Gengar, Incineroar, Landis, T, Finny, and just swapped in an Amoongus. Yeah. I mean, this is like the exact six that like Case and Crew were using, but with an Amoongus over the Feeny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a fine switch. It gives you a little bit better flexibility with the Xerneas mode. The Feeny wasn't really a big important part of the Parish mode, in my opinion, and so I don't think that's a big loss for that squad. You still have the two Intimidates and two U-turns, and like obviously the Gengar, too. Right, and it even enables like wanting to go to the Xerneas mode as well, Right, which is something that... <laughs> I know that those teams like to do because I lose to it every time. <laughs> it's I, I always like play the parish mode well, and then just like game two, oh, there's Xerneas on the field. <laughs> okay, anyway, <clears throat> uh, another Xerneas crowd on team at 47, which does also feature Gengar and Incineroar alongside Togekiss and Gastrodon. So this one I think is a better option for, sorry, a better team for Togekiss, just because you have much better answers to Coco. Mm-hmm. Like obviously on a Rayogre team when you're already weak to Coco, Togekiss just compounds that. But uh, with Zerndon, as soon as Xerneas Geomancy's Coco is irrelevant. You know, Groudon is one of the hardest stops to Coco, and so is Gastrodon. Gengar can sludge bomb it if it wins a speed tie, and so this team isn't super worried about Coco. And I think Togekiss makes more sense here. Right, right. I think Groudon is you know as good as it gets for a Coco check there. Yeah. So down to 48 is a Rayogre team that features Tapu Coco, Incineroar, Tornadus. And Ferrothorn, another one that doesn't really surprise me at all. Yeah. It, there's not really a whole lot to say. It's just kind of the next iteration of Tornadus. Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of branching out to more archetypes now, which is kind of cool. But I mean, um, some, anything with Kyogre and Tornadus, you would not really be surprised about. Right. I think I agree. Although uh, Tornadus breaking away from Kangaskhan is... Kind of an interesting development, I True. think. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last team on our list this week, which just come in at number 49, is uh, a Rayquaza and Zygarde team yeah. that features Tapu Fini, Incineroar, Mimikyu, and Mandibuzz. So the first thing that I was thinking when I looked at this team is, where exactly is the Misty Seed? Did you take it away from Zygarde, or is Mandibuzz running like a berry or something? Oh, that's a good point. My first thought was, I wonder if that's Psychop Mimikyu. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Zygarde like, used on a serious team since Moon Series. It's been a long time. I think at the beginning of the format, people were trying to do the same thing with like the yeah. Solgaleo stuff, but I don't... like that. How does that team beat Xerneas? Uh, oh, it doesn't. It does. uh, just, uh, <laughs> Full it's, stop. It's, it's, it has, it's Aura it Break Zygarde. Aura Break Zygarde and, and AV Rayquaza. You just... You just, oh, you just <laughs> that actually... I wonder if it is Aura Break, because I don't there. think you... Like, there's no way you beat Xerneas otherwise. <laughs> no, I don't think you can. That's like 100% Haze Feeny. It has to be, right? Yeah, you would think so. And Faria Mimikyu and... Yeah. Roar Incineroar and Snarl Mandibuzz. It, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just has to be. Any, any Xerneas tech is there right now. Yeah. So anyway, that wraps up the ladder for this week. 
Uh, a lot of Ray Ogre, I think, is what I continue to take away from most of these ladder sessions that we're looking at, Jake. But I, we right. also spoke about how it doesn't really seem too much like, at least on the ladder, uh, things are developing in an unexpected direction. Of course, you know, Celesteela and Mimikyu kind of came out of nowhere at NAIC, and now there's not really anything that's really jumping out at me here. So, yep. um, of course, teams are hidden, and we're still a couple weeks away from Worlds, so you never know what's going to happen between then and now. And uh, I think now we're going to jump towards the uh, results of the Mount Silver Circuit final. And I believe we have a top eight teams from yes. that format. So we'll run through those real quick. And, of course, we'll also put um, a link to these teams up in the description uh, on all forums. So this team, starting from one, and I'll just kind of read through them. Um, uh, the first place team was Calvonics running a team, and we talked about this one a little bit already, Jake. Yeah. Uh, with the Xerneas Kyogre, and then Kangaskhan Tornadus, and then Incineroar, and Amoongus. So th I think that's a really important team to talk about. We'll come back to that in just a minute after I finish reading these guys off here. Uh, at number two was Animus with a team of uh, Rayquaza, Kyogre, Metagross, Tapu Koko, uh, that thing is called Incineroar, <laughs> and Mimikyu. So that's a team that we've seen quite a bit of already. At number three, or the first of the top four teams, was Swaggy McBuckets, which team of Groudon, Xerneas, Lopunny, Tapu Koko, Incineroar, and Jumpluff. And the other top four team piloted by Lightcore is Standard Kangtorn with an Amoongus in the final spot instead of Mawile next to that Como of, of course. At number five, the first of the top eight teams is a uh, Lunala Kyogre team that also has uh, that Lopunny and is also accompanied by Tapu Koko, Crobat, and Celesteela. At number six, or the second of the top eight teams, is uh, apparently an Ultra Necrozma team that does have a Dawnwings Lunala, or a Dawnwings Necrozma with Groudon, Kangaskhan, Tapu Koko. Uh, that's a Stack Attacka and a Moongus. Xerneas Lunala piloted by Jono TV at seven, featuring a Kangaskhan, Tapu Koko, Incineroar, and Nihiligo, and then finally is Joe UX9 featuring the team that he knocked me out of <laughs> the North America International Championships with. So some interesting stuff there, Jake, and I sort of highlighted what exactly I wanted to talk about briefly, but that team at number one, piloted by Calvonics, is like what I would call the spiritual successor to the team that Lightcore was running, featuring the, the Como and Groudion, Groudon Xerneas. I fully agree. You know, I think King Torn... Uh, I... We trash talked it a lot. I think mainly just because we really hated the last two months. It usually came on that team. Oh, it's it's terrible. Yeah, like obviously Xerneas and Groudon are good Pokemon. Kang's a good Pokemon. Torn, it's had better days, but it does the job it needs to on this team. And I, I think just the fact that like the last two slots were usually occupied by Como, Mawile. Uh, I just I can't get behind that. But I think this team is much more sound i really like the look of it i i'm a big fan of zernogre in general i just have a lot of fun playing it now and three years ago and so if i can find a good zernogre team and it looks good to me i'm gonna rave about it and this is definitely one of those teams i think i agree with most of your takes there jake and the the thing that i kind of think about looking at this version of it as opposed to the one with como is is it, it gives you, like, the opportunity to play Pokemon. Right. You know, <laughs> like, Incineroar and Amoongus are two of those Pokemon that give you the opportunity to make a lot of safe, safe switches, safe pivots. Like, you can switch those two into, like, a big chunk of the heavy hitters in the format. Yeah. And it's not so much reliant on, like, uh, trying to flowchart. And I think that uh, 
the Groudon Xerneas team with the Como, of course, is like very, very flow chart heavy. Yeah. And if you're not leading Kangaskhan Tornadus, like, like what exactly are you doing with that team? I guess right. It's like, uh, and in this team with like Incineroar gives you a, a much stronger Xerneas mode in that if you're able to get that Geomancy up, um, that it's a little easier to you know, enables Arneas to sweep as opposed to, you know, trying to just get as much momentum as you can with Tornadus and then, you know, click Moonblast twice with Xerneas, maybe. Yeah, um, no, I definitely agree. I think on the, like, the classic King Torn team, if you're not bringing King Torn, you're losing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're not just, like, you're not using some other game plan. You're just probably straight up losing just because that those two were kind of the crux of that team. But right. you know, with At this Zernoga team, you can very realistically bring... bring Xerneas, Kyogre, and Cinderor, Moongus, and those right. four can win you games pretty simply. Definitely, I think at, at the very least with the old one, if you're not leaning Kang Torn on turn one, like or on yeah. like turn one game one, maybe you try to switch it up for game two. But right. um, anyway, some other takeaways after we've raved about this team, I think we'll both <laughs> be taking that onto the ladder and over the next couple weeks <laughs> is uh, there's a couple of lop honeys starting to show up, and mm -hmm. I think. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last night, Jake, while we were going over this week. Uh, it's a Pokemon that you're a fan of and one that I maybe am not so much. I, I don't know if I'm like a straight-up fan, but I definitely see its uses. You know, it's a very fast fake-out, which is always good. Uh, if you're, you're basically using it in a slot where you would otherwise have Kang is kind of how I look at it. Like, if you mm. don't want the specific things Lopunny offers, Kang's probably a better option there. But mm. Lopunny does have a lot of cool support moves. Uh, it gets after you on core fake tiers. And so I think a lot of these teams are going to make use of that. Like it's specifically to thy force team in top eight, it's mm -hmm. next to uh, Lunala and Kyogre, which are both two very strong special attackers, Coco as well. So mm -hmm. I would be very surprised if that Lopity didn't have uh, fake tiers. Whereas on Swaggy McBucket's team, I hate saying that out loud. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't I be surprised if that was more of a, an, like an encore, encore team. Yeah. You know, potentially it could be special Groudon with fake tiers, uh, Lopany as well. And so I think it, like you have to respect a lot of different options when you see Lopany team preview. Mm -hmm. And I think the fighting type is really good too. Uh, both of these, well, no, only one is with Xerneas. I think uh, especially with Xerneas, uh, the option to like knock out something like Stag Attack or Ferrothorn oh, is right, pretty yeah. huge. Yeah, I think I think the one thing and and like I totally respect all of its options and I think Lopunny is one of those Pokemon that you see in Team Preview and you're like oh god here we go yeah uh, exactly. especially um, in the hands of uh, like Chef has been using it with that Shedinja team I don't think mm -hmm. I could see you could ever see something that's more terrifying than seeing Shedinja Lopunny in Team Preview <laughs> but anyway the point being that um, it's one of those Pokemon that if you're like able to figure out what it does like what it's going to do on turn two before it does it that like the whole team will fold like if you catch um, you know, a fake tiers plus attack with a defensive switch, and you're not able to—they're not able to pick up a knockout. Like the whole team's gonna fold. It's a very right. momentum-based Pokemon. Um, so let's see, anything else? Oh, and then there was that one uh, Dawnwings Necrozma that did show up, which is kind of interesting. Those teams are—that's an an unsolved archetype, I think. It seems like there's a lot of things that people are working on with the yeah, that with team looks there. kind of strange to me because I think if the Coco was a Lele, it would make a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know why you would run Dawn Wings without it being Ultra. Mm -hmm. So I think it's probably safer to assume that's still Ultra even though there's no Lele. Right. But I don't know, like I think we saw there was a ghost or a Lunalium one that ended up cutting or it got second at Japan Nats, I think, right? Oh it, like, maybe it, like yeah. set trick room and stuff like that. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's fair. Kind of a kind of an interesting Pokemon. 
Yeah, I, I don't like Don Wings is easily the least popular, the less popular of the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not using Ultra, and so I think the fact that it is Don Wings might give away that it's Ultra because Moongeist Speed is very good on is, Ultra. Yeah. But I don't know. It's interesting. I, we don't really know much about these teams other than the six Pokemon that they used, obviously, and so. Right. Uh, it would be cool to know if that was in fact Ultra or it was something like Lunalium, like Trick Room yeah. instead. Yeah, it's a, definitely an interesting Pokemon, though. Um, so thank you to um, the Mount Silver team, and I n- don't know exactly who the entire crew is, but uh, we got this information from our buddy Big Slim, so thank yeah. you to them. And, of course, thank you to everybody who hosts those grassroots tournaments, especially during downtime uh, during the season. It's always nice to have content and stuff going on um, to really... I think stuff like this really drives meta development right. in, in downtimes during the year, so it's really important. And on that note... As far as things that drive meta development, we are <laughs> going to jump right over into the results of the Zelda challenge here, which are some of the most important and influential online tournaments that do take place. Um, of course, they've kind of been going on for a couple years now and provide huge, huge prize pools to, mm-hmm. like, in a, in a winner-take-all format, basically, to send one individual to the upcoming international championship, which is really, uh, really cool. And he's managed to keep them going for quite a while. Yeah, um, I think ever since the demise of like the Nugget Bridge Major, the Zelda mm-hmm. challenges have been the most uh, like important and watched and influential online tournaments we've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam does a pretty good job running these. Uh, there have been some hiccups in the past, but I think we're mostly past that. And a lot of people participate in these, and uh, a lot of people win some pretty good money from these, and a lot of people use some pretty good teams in these. And so, uh, really cool to see you know what people come up with for this one because there are a lot of teams that aren't just you know cookie cutter teams you might have stolen from any IC. I think a lot of people did actually like put time into teams for this tournament. All right, and then on the other side, there are a lot of cookie cutter teams yeah. that <laughs> did, were stolen from NAIC. And on that oh. note, uh, we're going to go through and highlight some of the teams that did place well. And of course, the uh, the winner of this tournament was Arash Amadi, who is one of the best players of all time, of mm-hmm. course. And he did pilot uh, what was run by his countryman Pado to take top eight in NAIC, which was that standard gang torn <sighs> with Como and Incineroar in the last slot. And you know that if it hadn't won the tournament, we wouldn't be talking about it here on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but now that we have mentioned it, uh, it, you know, as much as we trash talk it, it is an undeniably strong composition, especially in strong hands. Um, I think once this team starts to fall out of favor, we're just going to have to dedicate like a minute every episode to like trashing King Torn. Because we've done it silence. every episode so far, and I'm not really sure how to function without it. <laughs> we'll just we'll make it like a, a segment that we have every Right, week. yeah, it's just at the very end. And here's our minute of hating on King Torn. <laughs> <laughs> but at number two, a very interesting team, which I think was one of the ones that Jake was alluding to there as far as people that are, you know, building pretty creatively for... Yeah. Uh, some of the bigger tournaments coming up here. And this team was uh, Necrozma, Duskman, Kyogre, Lopunny, uh, Tapu Lele, Mandibuzz, and Araquanid. So kind of a, a really interesting combination of Pokemon. And you can kind of see where there are, like, you know, twos and threes of Pokemon that combine well. But it's definitely, right. like, uh, an interesting six to stand back and look at. Yeah, there are definitely some combos. Like, you see the Necrozma, Lele, uh, and you think, well, maybe that's... Ultra Necrozma, just because, you know, Light that Burns the Sky and Terrain is super strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see the Lele Mandibuzz, that could be... It's very likely Psychic Seed Mandibuzz, just because that's such a good item on Mandibuzz. You would it's think, so yeah. Uh, and you see, like, the Lopunny, and... I don't know. Lopunny doesn't really combine with anything, but... Well, Lopunny still... Lele, like, you have Fake Out Tailwind stuff. 
Uh, right, and you know, like it, that, I mean that could be another like fake spout. two situation right. with Ogre yeah, yeah. too. So definitely, I think the Araquanid is the big you know question mark on this team though. I literally haven't seen an Araquanid since like Tommy was joking about using it at the very beginning of Moon series or something like that. Oh yeah, and, and he so. kept sending those calcs. That was the, that was really annoying. Everybody yeah, like, Tommy, <laughs> shut up. Shut I mean, it has up. some really <laughs> scary calcs. Like it does. Yeah, Hydro Vortex in Rain is stupid, but it does a lot of damage. I like there are a lot of things that also do a lot of damage to Araquanid, and so. That's the Araquanid makes me believe it might be a Trick Room Necrozma, but... That was going to be my thought as well, because yeah. Tepulele, or not Tepulele, um, Lopunny also gives you, like, after you Trick Room stuff right. so that you can guarantee, and then, you know, like, sack Lopunny into Araquanid, and with Kyogre in the back, that sounds actually really yeah. tough <laughs> to try and stop. But it's definitely an interesting team. Um, it's, it's just uh, probably not something you'll see a whole lot like going forward, but it's, it's cool to look at. I think it's neat. Yeah. Props to the the player average Pikachu uh, for putting that together. I think my favorite thing to come out of this tournament is that not only did people steal teams from this format, but they stole teams oh from God, 2016 just straight <laughs> up. I wouldn't be surprised if this was literally just big six with no edits because that <laughs> would just be so funny. I could see like I, I could see myself like entering an ultra series tournament with big six just for fun. They're like accidentally like, winning it, like, oh. and then you just <laughs> smack a Z move onto Talonflame. Because yeah, exactly. Why the heck not? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I I wonder if like uh, and the player piloting Big Six, which was the the number three team or the first of top four, uh, Radium, who is a very well known player uh -huh. uh, and a very good player. You wonder if this isn't just somebody that was like memeing by taking Big Six yeah. into a tournament <laughs> and just like really driving home a point here. Well, it's like it's like bringing like fake PG to like right. showdown room tournaments and then winning exactly. with them because I know that a lot of yep. people have like done that and actually won, especially Soak PG that version. Mm -hmm. So I like this could just be something Radium did for fun and then happened to top four with it, which I I want to believe that's the case because that's way more funny than someone actually saying. I think Big Six is the call here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes a little bit of sense in that we're now in a a uh, priority Tailwind meta thanks to Kangtorn. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, Talonflame is one of the Pokemon that does that, so it's it's something to think about there. Uh, but anyway, going uh, the last team in top four and two of the other teams in top eight are X-Ray and three different X-Ray comps. So I think that after this archetype basically fell from grace at NAIC, um, it is kind of back here in in uh, numbers in this Zelda challenge. Yeah, there is you know the standard X-ray that won uh, EUIC. That it's like the X-ray Fini Nihiligo and San Amungus. Uh, that is one of the teams in top eight. But uh, the the last team in top four does have Lele Fini, which is kind of interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. And the team right below it is uh, Tepu Coco instead. So we have three teams and three different uh, Island Guardians too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, team in that it, you know, I thought a lot of people felt like, oh, this, this Pato version, he just like looked so dominant with it running through EUIC that uh, there was maybe a, a sense at the time that maybe this was all of a sudden uh, a solved archetype. And I don't think that ever was the case. Right. No, um, I and I remember like a lot of people saying that like, oh yeah, this is best, this is best X-ray. Like this is, this is what it is. And, um, uh, you know, Nihiligo, that is Pato's team there in top 8, yep. but, you know, I think Gengar obviously has merits. Lele is a really good Pokemon that supports Xerneas well and is, like, you know, a strong offensive pairing with that Rayquaza, so I think there's still a lot to do uh, with X-Ray here. And outside of Tapu Fini, we haven't even seen X-Ray with uh, meme water types yet. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Tapu Fini just kind of eliminates the need for, like, a weird water type just because it's, it's so good. Right. 
Yeah, like, it is. It fills the water type role in X-Ray very well while doing so many other things at the same time. But I think, like, in a in a, in a a team composition where maybe, you know, you're not as bold as this guy in top four and you don't necessarily want to, like, triple stack fairy types. You right. You look elsewhere for a water type if you're really attached to Tapu Lele. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting archetype that I don't hate as much as I did in 2016, <laughs> uh, which is nice. And then uh, rounding out top eight here, uh, there is a Lunala Rayquaza team featuring Tefu Koko, Nihiligo, Incineroar, and Amoogus. Those teams are kind of cool. And we did kind of, uh, I don't want to say we predicted that, that we called that Lunala Rayquaza <laughs> was on its way up, but we did talk quite extensively about it during our review of the ladder last uh, episode. It popped off so much on the ladder last episode, and it, like out of nowhere, really. I had mm. only seen it once before, like in the entirety of Ultra Series, and that was at NASC, one of the rounds I played against it. Mm. And I mean, it just kind of surprised everyone, I think. I, a lot of people were, like, making comments about all the, like, Lunala's Ray on the ladder. And, you know, it, it made top eight in this tournament, too. So clearly something to be you know, considered if you're looking into, you know, worlds or possibly the open or whatever else you might be playing Ultra Series. Definitely. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, in theory at least, is that uh, in in kind of the same sense that, you know, back in 2016... Uh, people were like, oh, you know, Groudon and Rayquaza, you know, his highest base stat total. Like, in isolation, these two Pokemon are both incredibly good. Yeah. You know, Lunala with its Z-move is very strong. Rayquaza is arguably the best Pokemon in the format right now. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're not opening too many glaring weaknesses outside of Eveltal. So it makes sense that, you know, you could put these two Pokemon together. And while there's not, you know, necessarily as much innate synergy between them, that they're both good enough on their own to kind of, like, create a team archetype. Right. Final um, team in top eight is another version of Zernogre. Uh, I believe it's the same six as the team that won the Mount Silver finals. But um, it's just a Gengar a over the Gengar King. Gengar over Kang. Yeah. Which I think Which is, is interesting. interesting. You know, I think Kang does yeah. a lot for this composition, but you still have Incineroar for fake out, and so it's not like mm -hmm. you lose everything that you might want from Kang. Uh, Gengar right. just kind of supports everything in a different way. So Gengar Kyogre is really strong against uh, Groudon if he can just trap the Groudon in the rain. Uh, mm -hmm. So I understand why the Gengar would make an appearance here as well. Yeah, it's a pretty cool composition. I, that's definitely an archetype I'm going to take a peek at, I think. Yeah, definitely. And Yeah, we've talked a little bit about it. We'll probably be pursuing that. Uh, but going into top 16 here, we'll just kind of hit on some of the highlights. There mm -hmm. is another X-Ray here as the first team in top 16 that does feature a Salazzle. Um, unfortunately, we're able to report that it's not Jamie Boyd because it also <laughs> has an Incineroar on the team. And we to know be fair, that... if Jamie was ever <laughs> choose Incineroar, I think there would also be a Salazzle, so I don't think this completely disqualifies him. But I think it uh, is very likely not Jamie because right. I think Jamie using Incineroar would just be a cry for help. Yeah, we'd, we'd need to do a, a check-in on him, <laughs> a wellness <laughs> check. Um, uh, the next team in top 16 is the six that Tommy popularized, so we'll get to talk uh, it quite a bit about that archetype yeah. coming up in just a couple minutes so we'll omit it for now uh a team another team in top 16 pretty interesting here featuring ho -Oh, groudon gengar persian incineroar and amoongus i i mean that that sure do be a team it is <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm gonna i'm playing a game of like count the ogre checks and i see like half of one in amoongus <laughs> so I'm not really entirely sure how this team beats Ogre other than like desperately trying to trap it on the field with Groudon. Which right. I guess works. You have two U turns. Well, like parting shot, shot parting shot. Yeah. yeah. Right. So not impossible, but like an ogre and tailwind. Yeah. I mean, 
an ogre with a Rayquaza in the back. That too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially because Ho-Oh doesn't really do so hot itself against Rayquaza. It kind of folds to those strong physical moves. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, maybe it's one of those teams that kind of like capitalized on a on a tournament field that lent itself to that sort of thing. That's fair. Kind of yeah. like uh, what was it? Was it a was it Korean Nationals where there was like a Zekrom in top four and Ray Ogre was all over top cut or something that like that? That sounds familiar. Yeah. Anyway, um, going on through top sixteen, there is another X-ray here featuring Cartana, which you know not too far out of left field. Mm -hmm. A Ray Ogre team featuring Mimikyu, Gothitelle, Incineroar, and Amoongus. I. <laughs> I don't know why people think Gothitelle is a Pokemon in this. Format. It's every year, every year, every year. Like, well, no, I think it, in, I think it's a good Pokemon in general, but like right, I think in non-restricted formats, it's a good yeah, Pokemon. yeah. It's like, and it's one of those things that always, it always is like non-existent at the beginning of the format, and then right around Worlds, people are like, wait, Shadow Tag's super busted. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Gothitelle. That said, Gothitelle just doesn't have the stats to stand up in this. No, format, it, it like barely it, has the stats to work in like. And now that Incineroar exists but... too, like oh my goodness, yeah. Um, and then the next team in top 16 is Jackson, who's running Lunadon uh, still. So that seems to be the team that he's latched onto, featuring Salamence, Metagross, Tapu Koko, and Incineroar. That was also the team that I think that he snuck onto ladder with yeah. last week. So we've talked about that enough. Um, the final second to last team in top 16 uh, was Serapis, piloting that standard uh, Xerneas Groudon 6 with uh, Salamence. Tapufini, Incineroar, and Amoongus. So that is, you know, pretty cut and dry at this point. Everybody knows what it does. Yep. Um, and it's still, you know, one of those strong teams that if you put it in good hands, it's going to make a run. And the last team of top 16 is a Ray Ogre team featuring Tapufini, Togedemaru, Incineroar, and Ferrothorn. So not a whole lot to write home about there either. Yeah. But a few more teams that snuck into top cut. I believe they did an X2 cut, so there are five more that made top cut and then eventually mm -hmm. lost in the first round for the top 16 play-in. But... Uh, we do have an X-ray with uh, Coco, Celesteela, Incineroar, and Amoongus, which very much reminds me of the Wolf and Aaron team, but with Xerneas instead of mm -hmm. the Ogre. Uh, then we well, have they did, they did say that Celesteela was their second restricted. Exactly, so. yeah. So the Xerneas is just a bonus at that point. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but a really interesting team after that, we have uh, Ray Ogre, but with the Latias, Nihiligo, Staraptor, and Celesteela. And the, the Latias and Staraptor are not Pokemon I've seen in quite a long time now. Uh, and I feel like it's probably for a good reason, yeah. too. <laughs> I mean, Staraptor always has a niche. Maybe yeah, I mean, you have, like, have Choice Scarf, Final Gambit with Intimidate. Right, that's, that's that's you know, kind of what it does, but that does lose a bit of its influence in restricted formats because all these things just have giant HP stats. Yeah. So, I don't know, that sure do be a Staraptor. And, <laughs> uh, the next team is uh, that Coco Chu pairing that Mogar has become famous for using here alongside Rayogre, Incineroar, and a Mega Scissor. Right. Moving on down, we've got uh, two more Zerndon teams to round out Top Cut. One of them with the Salamence, Coco, Incineroar, and Jumpluff that's kind of been making a comeback. It's like the third we've seen in the last couple episodes. A quote-unquote so. comeback. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the comeback from the one time it was ever used. Right. Uh, and then finally, uh, Velocity running a Metagross, Kangaskhan, Coco, and Tornadus with Zerndon. So I guess that's one of those. Uh, oh, th isn't that the, uh, is that the six that Ashton used at NAIC? Uh, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. So a much more palatable version of Kangtorn as yeah. far as I'm concerned in the sense that there's no meme dragon type right. <laughs> or, or a Mawile. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that does round out the Zelda challenge. Uh, which, of course, Arash did end up winning, so congratulations. He's going to get thrown a lot of money to go to Washington, D.C. this year if that is 
what he chooses to do. And of course, he's won a world championship and also top cut another. So yeah, uh, a scary individual to have at that tournament. Yep. Thank you to the Mount Silver Discord for tweeting these out, and to uh, Twitter user Giovanni VGC for collecting all the teams. Uh, we will have everything linked in the description, as always. Right, so that is going to wrap up our competitive results coverage for this week. We still do have a lot more competitive Pokemon discussion coming up in just a couple minutes. So we're going to take the briefest of breaks while we go uh, get Tommy up from the nap that he's inevitably taking <laughs> right now. And then uh, we will be back. So stay tuned for continued coverage of Tommy. to Tommy Watch 2019. We do have him here with us for the second portion of our podcast here today. My name's Brendan Lewis. I'm joined by Jake Moeller and now by Tommy Kuleen, who's here to talk with us about archetype development this week. Tommy, welcome to the show. I thought I was talking about watches. <laughs> I hate that. You could go now. Just, just, just <laughs> oh, an please, Tommy Watch. <laughs> you have no room to speak here. <laughs> so, of course, Tommy is uh, regrettably an individual that is well known to the community at large and uh, Jake I think you've been doing our character introductions here why don't you take us through it yeah I mean I can't really think of anyone less deserving of you know <laughs> a, a position of community figurehead-esque nature but I guess he's there <laughs> for some reason you know maybe he's like won a regional this year Maybe he, like, top-aided three internets in a row back in 2017. Maybe he's just, like, a really cool person that everyone likes for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't buy it. Personally, Brandon... Brandon? Your name's Whoa. Brandon now. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's no, not it's okay. Not. Anyway, Brandon had to, like, fight really hard for me to, to, like, agree to ask Tommy, and he caved. And you can send me the 50 bucks on Venmo later. All right, sure. <laughs> um, uh, I think Tommy's best known for creating uh, Sunny D. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for better and for worse. <laughs> uh, so, Tommy, um, well, we wanted to talk a little bit about this week as we um, are kind of just kind of like covering a pretty wide range of topics here as we progress through the March to Worlds here is sort of uh, the development uh, of an archetype. And we kind of tabbed you for this discussion because over the course of, I, th I think what I would argue, are your two most successful seasons uh, being 2017 and now this season, you've kind of stuck with that one archetype and kind of like dragged it through an entire format. Um, so we wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, you know, why you choose this these things and like what are your sort of values as you choose and then, you know, stick with an archetype through an entire format. Um, yeah, I, I sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think something that's really weird is uh, you bring that up that in my two most successful seasons, uh, I did you know use one team and mostly stuck with them throughout the entire year. Mm -hmm. But uh, in pretty much every other season, I've been a player that kind of like goes back and forth and plays a bunch of different archetypes. So I think it's uh, it's really interesting when you kind of get into that groove and like find a team and can actually see through that entire process mm -hmm. from going from the other style of play where you just kind of just you know, playing whatever team happens to be hot at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, one thing that always stuck out to me in 2017 was that even though you were, like, 
winning, not winning, but you were doing so well at all these internats with Ducks, and you you kept building other stuff throughout the entire year. Like I know that Drew won two regionals with your teams, and they were both very much not Ducks, and so like you you still didn't lose the ability to play all this other stuff, but when it came down to it, you decided to go back to the tried and true, and it obviously worked for you in 2017. Yeah, I think a big part of that was at some point I kind of just decided that you know this Ducks team was the the team that if not the best team in the format it was the team that I was going to be able to play the best in the format and mm-hmm. uh, more than anything I thought it had the most matchups across the field no matter how I can play because I think uh, something that's really important is when you go into different formats you know whether you're playing a regional format like 2017 or a restricted format like uh, you know, 2019, there are still, like, varying levels of, like, matchups within each particular format. You know, you might not have, like, the uh, big uh, restricted pairing archetypes of 2019 and something a lot more uh, fluid like 2017, but there's still a lot of, like, matchups across the board that you need to make sure, like, I can beat uh, Mimilax, I can beat all of the very common, like, Coco, Arcanine, Tapu Fini stuff, and just making sure that you, know, you can have uh, good matchups across the board with the team that you're playing, and I, I think that was a really important thing with both of the teams that I ended up doing pretty well with. So when you are, I don't know, building or like selecting a team that you are, you know, thinking about build or putting together or taking to an event, um, does the reason that you select these teams boil down? to just, you know, matchups across the board based on, you know, where we are in the metagame? Or is there, you know, something a little bit maybe less tangible as far as, like, uh, like values in selection or team building? I think everybody likes to play the game a uh, very particular kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that while I do play some, like, these, like, weird, like, uh, hard setup-based teams with uh, a lot of, like, moving pieces... Uh, a lot of the teams that I generally tend to play move towards like these kind of hyper offense styles of play. I think that both, mm. you know, the Ducks team and the Ultra Necrozma team this year uh, would both kind of fall under that uh, that kind of archetype structure of like hyper offense. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think uh, when you get down to you know choosing a team, it's it's a mix of you know how you want to play the game. What are the matchups across the board, and generally just how you feel that you can play the team versus what how other people are going to play the other popular teams in the format. So in in that sense, where you you kind of mentioned that you know that a lot of especially these two team choices that tend to be like ducks and size spam, of course, are what we're talking about here, are teams that that are a little bit more hyper offensive. Do you think that? I guess my question would be how much of that do you think is personal team preference versus you choosing something that's like objectively good I I think that there is a philosophy behind hyper offense that I particularly find um, very strong and that you know if you're able to you know take priority take initiative against uh, opposing teams you're able to control more of the game than your opponent does so when I find a team that I think has the matchups and has the ability to kind of take that initiative, um, I tend to lean pretty hard into them. I think that both of these teams did uh, a really, really good job at doing that and just being able to control more of the game than my opponent can because, you know, I'm moving first, I'm hitting harder, I have more options than you do. Your, your options are kind of 
you know, constrained to a certain amount of choices to, you know, maybe play around a Necro's Mind Terrain or play around a Hydro Vortex on turn one, stuff like that. I also think there's kind of a bit of a false dichotomy between, like, a quote-unquote objectively good team and, like, a team that you know you're going to play well because I think when you're going into, or rather when you're picking a team for whatever scenario, like whether it's, like, laddering or going to a Premier Challenge or NAIC or Worlds or whatever, you're going to be picking a team based on how you think you'll do with that team at that tournament. So I think if if there is a team that you can say, I know I will perform the best with this team out of anything else. Even if it's not like the best team on paper, I think that's an objectively good choice. And so I think that, you know, even if there might be like a team that looks really pretty when you look at it at team preview and you, it might be referred to as like an objectively good team by a lot of people, if you're not good at playing it or if you just don't know how it works and there's this other team that might look janky but is your best option at the, I don't think that's I think that's your I think that's your good choice mm-hmm. so it's 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 like this weird distinction that people try to make sometimes like well that team isn't good like I, I know I'm guilty of it I probably said something like that in this podcast even but <laughs> like anytime that I say a team isn't good I, I more mean like oh I probably couldn't use that myself or like I don't understand how that team works mm-hmm I think a really good example of that is actually um, in 2018, uh, there was, you know, the very standard uh, Metagross team that uh, you know, players like uh, Yuri and uh-huh. uh, Justin Burns have been playing for most of the year and had, like, great success with. And there was just a point in that format where, you know, haven't been playing most of the year, I going into NAIC, and I just want to, you know, have a good tournament. If I can cut, if I can cut, that's great. Ideally, just make day two, see where I can go from there. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at that tournament, and it's like, I know I could probably play Metagross stuff, and I think that's a very good team with a lot of really good matchups across the board. I think the only matchup I would have been scared of playing Metagross stuff back then probably would have been Charizard stuff. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the uh, Metagross players would tell you roughly the same thing, just hope that the Charizard players kind of burn themselves out. But, um, like, I know that I probably wasn't going to be playing the Metagross team to the level that the other Metagross players that have been playing the entire year were going to be playing it, so... Um, I think there is a lot of truth to like, you know what you said, that some people are just going to play the teams that they think that they personally can win with the best. Mm-hmm. I know that um, I went into NAIC with uh, like a very standardish uh, core team with like Landers, Cortana, Tapu Fini, but I had the Latias and I had uh, like Staka to deal with very specific opposing archetypes. And yeah, um, that's a team that, you know, I thought that I could do very very well with and you know i was able to day two uh not only that tournament but also uh was able to cut the open with it so like i think there's a lot of uh comfort when it comes to a team and even just like developing over the years you know you only want to keep working with a team if you are you know very comfortable and uh, confident with a team and if you actually believe in it it doesn't really matter what you know other people think are good and what other people say like say works as long as you know that it has matchups across the field, and you know that you can play the team to beat the matchups that it needs to beat. Yeah, no, I think what you just said about other people's opinions, I think I think it's good to seek out other people's opinions when you're like building and picking a team. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's using it, and you're the one that has to be happy with the choice. And so, I, I really, I definitely agree with that. Like you, you have to like it. You have to know it's a good call, and whether someone else agrees with you or not is kind of inconsequential at the end of the day. 
I think something that's also interesting is not only, like, uh, with the team choices themselves, but, you know, two different people can play the same team very, very differently from one another. Oh, we do that all the time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think yeah. I think that's a big part of why uh, in 2017 we really didn't see anybody else you know, do too well with, with Ducks. I, uh-huh. just, I ran that team from the very first internet to the first event of the format, and, you know, despite having consistent cuts with it throughout the entire year, uh, pretty much nobody else was able to see success with it until, like, uh, I think Sean Bannon was the next uh-huh. finish at uh, NAIC almost, you know, nine months later. And then uh, I think Thomas Platter won a regional with with, with it uh, after Worlds. Like, yeah. that's, that's the only other two finishes the entire format. And I know a lot of that has to do with, you know, the probably the ways that I play the team. I know that a lot of people didn't agree with uh, how I used my Z-move. I like to <laughs> Z-move a lot on turn one with that team just because of the amount of uh, pressure that it gives and uh, the kind of plays that you force your opponent into by doing it on turn one. And it's just something that was really like difficult for people to like wrap their heads around that, you know, despite my opponent being able to do things like, you know, either switch out into a resisted hit or uh, protect on it and just take damage through protect... A lot of time, those situations were actually, you know, good for the Ducks player, uh, from what I saw, because of either chip damage that you got through Protect, uh, being able to set up knockouts for things like Thunder or Hydro Pump, or things like, uh, if you're targeting something that you don't want on the field with a Z-move, and the Z-move forces that Pokemon to switch off the field, and uh, now you don't have to deal with that at the time being, you can kind of readjust to play with what's on the field, and then worry about the threat that you're targeting them with the same move later on in the game. I think that uh, those are, like, two concepts that were really, really hard for people to grasp, specifically with playing the Ducks team. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of different things to go into, you know, yeah, whether an ar- archetype can make it as far as a, you know, a big player base uh, a team as opposed to, uh, you know, people doing well with a team that they think is good on their own. I think my favorite story you always told me about that team is, like, Whenever you had Golduck in against Coco, you would just always Z-move it. Always. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like every single time. And if they didn't protect, great, it got knocked out. If they did, it got put in Scald range. And so I think like that's something really important that I think a lot of people probably just like didn't realize about like how you played it or like how that team could be played, is that even if you whiff your Z-move into protects, a lot of times it's still like an objectively good thing for that to happen depending on like the scenario and so i think just the the mastery you had over like the different win cons that team had other than just like throw water moves and everything i think it's definitely part of the reason why like you and very few other people uh, had success with that team right and tommy you mentioned and, and i guess jake even just mentioned it too that you know duck specifically was a team that wasn't really so much picked up by the rest of the format and i think you could even say that you know at least your variant of the, the Unexi spam team has been largely abandoned by the community as well, with the exception of a few. You know, it, it pops up here and there. Um, what do you think it is specifically about, like, is, is it these two teams? Is it, like, a, a perception of, you know, hyper-offense as the community that leads, you know, what, like, what, why don't people pick these teams up more and play them, given that you've established so much success with them? I'd argue that hyper offense is a team is like a variant of team that's a lot harder for uh, people to play. Mostly because it's a lot easier to uh, you know lose your footing and fall behind really really quickly. It's uh, very 
uh, punishing if you're able to just you know slip up at any moment. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing with you know bulk stuff like Metagross and Feeny and Landers like gives you options if you don't have like these very very uh, high outcome turns where it's like if you you know make like a very basic just get myself into a good position play with a team like with a Metagross team in 2018. Like you could, you have more options from there to kind of just play play the game. Whereas with something like size spam in this format, if you're not capitalizing on every single turn that you have, a lot of times things can get out of control really, really quickly. The only like uh, defensive backbone this team actually has is just uh, sporing things with Smeargle and being able to capitalize on the fact that you can spore because the opposing top Lufinis are forced in by uh, Smeargle being on the field so then your top or uh, Ultra Crossman being on the field so then Smeargle's able to spore things as the Layla switches in and you're able to buy turns that way but without Smeargle there uh, things start falling apart very very quickly because uh, if your opponent gets you know one read right and they're able to say protect an icy wind or get uh, Incineroar in a good spot uh, the wheels kind of come off really really quickly I think that's an interesting part about hyper offense too is that obviously its win cons are much frailer but once you get to them I think they're much more definitive whereas something like like a Metagross team in 2018 it's much more forgiving like you said it, it it's harder to like completely blow a game in one turn but also like when you get into a good position it's harder to close out games it's like when you have all this offense if you're in a spot where your opponent just like no longer has switches you just win like assuming you hit attacks that you need to and blah 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 like there's there's much fewer ways out of bad <laughs> positions when you're playing against size spam as well or hyper offense in general so i think That's, like knowing how to get to those spots and how not to blow them is a super important part of it uh assuming you hit the attacks you need to was a mean thing to say jake <laughs> am i missing <laughs> something here <laughs> Tommy, you're not going to speak up on this one. All right, oh, never mind. We won't oh, talk about yeah, Precipice no, well, Blades yeah. today. No, uh, well, it's that fine. Was, that we'll glaze over it. That was rude. Okay, <laughs> yeah, now Jake, that I now remember it. <laughs> <laughs> what, wait, which incident are we talking about? Me versus Chuppa at Madison, where I missed like, <laughs> oh, every Blades yeah. I clicked in the set. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry. Too soon. <laughs> See, like, um, um, I'm... I'm generally someone that doesn't run a lot of moves that miss, so when I get to a situation like that, I, I kind of know what I'm signing up for. <laughs> like, yeah. So, something that I'll, I'll boast about all the time on. is that that 17 team, the Ducks team, had no moves that missed if you don't count Thunder outside of Rain, Hurricane outside of Rain, and Hydro Vortex, which was all, like, most of the time only used as a Z move, where uh-huh. you usually just click Scald if you wanted to click a water move that wasn't a Z move. And you'd really only click the other, like, the inaccurate options of those moves in, like, dire situations or to, like, close out a game early if you saw an opening. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. so when you run a team, like, uh, I think it's kind of something you have to do at points in uh, restricted formats just because of uh, the primals. Like, a lot of the better moves on the primals happen to be inaccurate moves, so... You have to be. You have to like know what you're setting up for, and know that like uh, setting yourself up for potentially missing blades 
uh, is a part of like how you play those teams, and right. it's a mm-hmm. big reason why I don't like to play teams with moves that miss. But sometimes I do think it's like optimal. So, when you are in a format like or a season like this one for you, or like twenty seventeen, where to an extent you've kind of accepted that this is going to be your team going through most of the format, what kind of thought or you know strategies or or building goes into the fact that you're not necessarily continuously building a new team but more or less just kind of like adapting one um over the course of you know what could be any number of metagame shifts so the main thing that you're doing is every time a new team pops up in the metagame you want to like run through your matchup with it and see what you have to do to potentially beat the team that pops up um something that's uh generally annoying about having a team that's kind of existed for a long time is that um, people generally have more matchup experience playing against your team than they would against, uh, like, a new team that's kind of just popped up. Like, if you're playing something like Ultra Necrozma, despite not having, like, a huge metagame share, like, if a new ar- archetype or even just, like, like weird changes to an archetype, like, you know, Wolf's team just had the um, Celesteela, made Celesteela, like, rise in usage really, really quickly. Um, not something that really matters too much for, like, the Ultra Necrozma team, but in general, like, Weird metagame shifts because of a small little Pokemon uh, often can really change like how a matchup works. I think the biggest one this year for the Ultimate Charisma team was that uh, version of Rayogre that had Whimsicott on it and the Ferium Z Coco uh, that I think Ragav had been piloting uh, mm-hmm. for like a large portion of the format. Uh, that team more than any other was uh, a big reason on why I don't think Psyspam kind of like took off. Uh, right after the the regional win because that team in particular kind of just uh, takes one of your better matchups, which was Rayogre, and kind of flips it on its head because of the fact that uh, Fairy Z Tapu Koko puts on so much pressure on Ultra Necrozma and Mence because uh, both of those Pokemon are you know huge parts of that matchup because you want to go into Tailwind against opposing Tailwind users. It's generally why Mence is on the team. And otherwise, Ultra Necrozma kind of just has to power its way through Kyogre and Rayquaza. But when they have, you know, Whimsicott, which can set up Tailwind that, you know, you can't stop it from going up. It's going to go up. You just kind of have to match it. And then the, the Coco has free reign to throw Fairy Z into whatever slot it wants to. The only way around that is having, you know, Smeargle, which can't spore if there's a Coco on the field. So you just generally have to kind of look at every team that pops up and say, well, how am I beating this matchup? How am I going to adjust? And whether it's something that you have to do in your play style or whether it's something you have to do um, from the team builder and, you know, make changes to your team and maybe, you know, tinker around with some uh, moves, tinker around with some EVs, or even sometimes just change an entire slot. So at a certain point, when you see these teams pop up that might, you know, threaten this established team that you've been using... How bad would it have to get to make you ditch that team entirely? Like you just said, the a good example would be like Ragov Rayogre against your size spam stuff. Uh, would did that team like make you reconsider using size spam altogether? Did you manage to, like work out a matchup, or are there scenarios where you would just say, okay, I need to find something else because this is becoming very close to unplayable? I, I think it's more of a metagame share of collective teams rather than a specific archetype. Mm-hmm. You you mostly care about how the team matches up against a wide variety of teams, and if you're going into a tournament and saying that, you know, I have a 
reasonable portion of teams in the metagame that I think are, you know, very, very hard for me to defeat. Something like, you know, say 30% of the metagame is just teams that are really, really hard for me to beat. Well, that's accounting for, like, you know, maybe two Swiss rounds, and then if you uh, take those two Swiss rounds and then, say, add chalk one up to bad luck, because you generally have to do that when you're thinking about, like, a tournament run, Uh um, then it's, like, kind of like, okay, maybe I have to start looking at other things because... I need to make sure that I'm playing against matchups that I can um, at least have a neutral matchup. A neutral, uh, like a, somewhere like a 40-60 is uh-huh. what I'll consider a playable matchup to me. Even if the matchup's like um, in my opponent's favor, as long as I have tools that I can play out of every matchup, I'm kind of content with where the team is. It's when it becomes, you know, unlikely for me to win matchups and there's enough matchups across the board that I feel that way about. That's mm-hmm. when I start to reconsider team choices. So in the context of this season, right now in the format, and of course you don't have to reveal anything that you don't want to, are you feeling good about the state of size spam or no? And on I that th- note, at this point in the format right now, are you feeling good about the state of ducks or no? <laughs> Groudon's big, Goldilocks, <laughs> Cloud9, this is fine. <laughs> um, Ducks may imagine. <laughs> but, uh, Psyspam, so, I think that Psyspam is at a similar spot to what it was before Nationals, which is, I think it has good matchups across the board, but I think that the matchups are not as positive as what I once would have thought and because of that I I look for things that are more positive across more matchups like right now I think that Spam has a lot of neutral matchups across the board and not a lot that are like uh, terribly great like you know if X-Ray were to pop back up again that was the big thing that I was targeting uh, in Madison or in um, Hartford was X-Ray just won Berlin, and Spam has a really, really good matchup against X-Ray, at least based on the archetypes that we were seeing after Berlin. Uh, if something like Radon were to pop up again, that would also be something that's really good for uh, Spam. but otherwise, like, the other matchup across the board, like Ray Ogre uh, and Zerndon, because of, like, changes to the archetype over the last, like, two months, they've gone from, like, being matchups that I'd consider probably around, like, 55-45 or, like, 60-40, to probably like sub like sub 50 now and mm-hmm. because there's not enough like super positive matchups across the board i'm a little bit more concerned about it going forward do you think it's patchable with team building at this point especially because uh, i think at the like before you kind of had the first coming out party for this team like it was a lot in flux as far as Pokemon goes, and at least from your perspective, it's kind of locked down into like a main six now. I know you've messed with techs here or there, but is there like anything that you think you could do to take the six that you've popularized and like change it to do enough to get past some of those negative matchups? I'm not entirely certain because I think there's like a very strong core to the team that really can't be touched. You know, the mm-hmm. two restricteds, uh, the Tapu Lele and the Smeargle, I'll say what I've always said about the team, I think the most important mod on the team uh, is the Smeargle, and it will always be the Smeargle, and that's normally a slot that teams would want to, you know, toy around with to change matchups, but because of, you know, what I've said before, it's kind of like the 
uh, defensive back one of the team that lets the team do all the other stuff that it wants to do offensively. The Smirnoff lets it, you know, kind of take a turn or two a little bit slower, put some spore onto things, use follow me, use fake out to get uh, attacks off of Necrozma. And because there's like four Pokemon that really can't change, and there's a slot that really has to beat Xerneas because of, you know, what Xerneas means to a restricted format, there's not enough wiggle room, I think, to really tackle all the archetypes, unless you have a very, very good idea of what you're going to be playing during day one of Worlds. Like, if you knew for a fact that you're playing, like, somewhere around, like, three or four archetypes guaranteed and you're not playing anything else, then maybe you can make some small adjustments in that, like, Salamence slot, or maybe even play around with the stack slot and do something a little bit different. But I, I think that because the format's, like, a little bit open right now, to the point where I wouldn't I wouldn't be comfortable saying that there's just, like, you know, three, four teams that I'd expect to see, and those matchups that I already said are, like, suboptimal, I don't think they can get much better than, like, 55, like, 45, and that might involve sacrificing the other matchups that you're not expecting to see, so. Right. I, I think it's a little bit hard to do at this point in the format, but um, I do think that the team would, like... It definitely has the power level to make a deep run, and I definitely, if I'm not playing it, would be very, very afraid to see it because of how powerful I think that the team is. Like I said, it's a team that capitalizes on the fact that you have more initiative than your opponent. You're kind of just, you're playing the hyper offense, you're going to go first, you're going to put more pressure on their stuff right away than they can and you kind of back them into a corner right away. And mm -hmm. that's going to be something that's true about the archetype uh, throughout the entirety of the format. And that's never going to change. But as far as, like, you know, matchups go throughout the entire event, I'm less confident about that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting. So Jake asked, uh, you know, what would make you abandon your archetype of choice here, and it looks like we might have hit that point in the meta, <laughs> so kind of an interesting conclusion to the discussion as far as archetype development uh, might just be the end of said archetype here, and you heard it from Tommy, he's a little on the fence, so uh, he's done a nice job of masking exactly what he's going to bring to Worlds here, uh, despite being in a semi-public forum, so nice job, Tommy, um, <laughs> and a lot of good discussion, some, some super interesting points. Um, and I'm glad we were able to make that span a couple formats. If it had been just in uh, size span, but getting to talk about Ducks was cool too. I know that team was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so to wrap that. up the uh, little interview portion that we have here, Jake has compiled a very important uh, research-based question yes. and okay. list for you here. Oh, this boy. is, I did so much research into this question, and I have <laughs> the definitive answers for each of the questions I'm about to ask you. And so Brendan doesn't know them either, so I, you're both going to play this game of sorts. Uh, but this is very serious. This is backed in science, and everything I'm about to say is irrefutable, so don't even bother. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to name a Pokemon, and you have to tell me whether you think it is a duck or not, and give me your reasoning. Okay. Okay. Number I'm one ready. is Pelipper. Duck. Pelican. Brendan is correct. It is, in fact, a pelican. <laughs> it is not a duck. Tell me you lose. We're not going to bother with the rest because that was the most important one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Moving on. You're wrong, uh, boy. But <laughs> I'm not. No. No. I told you science. I have science on my side. Okay. The next one is muck. 
Does, it doesn't not, matter which one. Not a duck, but it's a friend. I, I'd, I think that any Pokemon that rhymes with duck must be a duck. You are two for two. That is the answer. <laughs> Muck rhymes with duck, so it oh, is Was I like, seriously? That was your logic behind it? Yes, it is. Oh, wait, not wait, my okay. logic. I t I'm just, telling you. Just like Jake and I have not conferred about this. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's I, usually my logic, too. I was trying <laughs> to play the field. <laughs> okay. Number three is Necrozma. Oh. Duck. It's got wings uh... and a beak. Doesn't it have a beak? I was going to say duck for that one as well. Sorry, the correct answer was no. Aliens cannot be classified using human taxonomic labels. <laughs> really close, guys. You know, I think if, if we could apply those labels um, to Necrozma... Is that true? Have we attempted duck? to classify... Have we, space, attempted to... we can call it a space duck if you want. That's a, have we that's even as attempted to, to classify aliens by human taxonomic labels? That, I mean, Brendan, is I, there I don't a precedent know how many for that? I tell you. This is science. <laughs> I know I'll, that you, I'll like, settle for space duck. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you space duck. That is, it's okay, not a duck, but it's duck. a space duck. Okay, number four is Smeargle. Yes, because it can transform mm. into a duck. Oh, oh, mm. that's good. Uh, also, in the, it can also metronome moves used by a duck. Those are good. You're both correct in that it is a duck. Uh, mm. Your reasonings are also, good. Not the official can, reasoning, though. The official reason learn... is because... Uh, the duck hunt and dog character from Smash has a duck with him, and Smeagol's a dog, and so therefore Smeagol is also a duck. <laughs> That's irrefutable logic. Can, can, can Smeagol learn chatter in, yes. in, in any generation? So, so in that in in Gen Five, when you can record the noise for chatter, you could feasibly make it quack, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There's Let's go with that. Definitely a duck, Smeagol. Okay, number five is Ducklet. <laughs> duck um yeah it's a duck no everyone knows ducks can't be blue <laughs> i hate you <laughs> <laughs> that's clearly not a duck because a blue duck hello that would just be crazy just give me a marker and a duck and i'll prove you wrong <laughs> <laughs> i'm calling you could hear tommy thinking about why exactly you were gonna say that wasn't a duck and he wasn't able to figure it out in time <laughs> okay last one last one is porygon 2 yes duck, duck. Yes, Porygon Wait, no. is officially classified as a 16-bit duck. Wait, can that ducks is. be pink, though? Are we sure. Are we re refuting the logic from the last question? I only said ducks can't be blue. Nothing. I didn't but say anything they, about pink. Can they be pink? Uh, clearly, if Porygon 2 is a duck. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this concludes <laughs> our foray into science and biology. I thank you guys for embarking on this journey with me, even though clearly you don't know what you're talking about, and I do. Uh, but hopefully I got to educate both you two and our audience as well. I feel like I learned a lot here today. <laughs> the links I will go to, they'd be stupid. I think Tommy's face palming right now. His head is down. I hope desk. he is. <laughs> I bet he is. The only thing I've gained from this is a lack of respect. <laughs> like you had any in the first place. <laughs> this is fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lateral move. <laughs> All right. So for the last piece of our, uh, I guess interview here with Tommy. We like to do a reverse reverse where we play that popular Uno card here um, and also do the cha-cha slide at the same time. Uh, there was too many reverse references and in, in too little time. Uh, but anyway, Tommy, we have asked you to prepare a question for us. Uh, so the floor is yours. I had a really, really dumb question and I decided not to go with it and I decided to go with it because I couldn't think of another one. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my question for you, what is your favorite prime number 
11. That was fast. Oh, I, I, I knew that. I was ready. <laughs> I didn't even I have just, to think. It was like, oh, I just, yeah. I just don't have what Do most people have favorite prime numbers? Well, two of the three of us in this call do, so clearly. Is 31 a prime number? I choose that. Yes, it is. Okay, I choose that, 31. <laughs> my favorite number number is 10, and 11 is the closest prime to 10. So that's my reasoning. There you go. Mine is because 31 is my house number and also Mike Piazza's number. Oh, okay. For those keeping track, minus 7 because it's a cool number. Respect. Can't argue with that. All right, I was, finally... I, <laughs> I, was, I was originally going to ask what's your favorite four-digit prime number, but didn't feel like sitting here waiting for five minutes, like <laughs> waiting for you guys to look up four-digit prime numbers. <laughs> I thank you for not wasting our time. <laughs> what about 2019 is that one? Oh. Uh, it might be. Honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not because nope, it's not. It can be evenly divided by one, three, six hundred and seventy-three, and two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> well, one in two thousand nineteen. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. No, like, I, if, I you, know. if you take a number and you add up all the different numbers, and it's a multiple of three, then the number itself is a multiple of three. Oh, I did know that actually. I yeah. didn't know that. Anyway, our last little bit of content for this episode. Uh, as usual, we all have our music recommendations for the week. Mm. I'm going to start off by saying that Mr. Wives just released a new single. And Mr. Wives is one of my favorite bands, and I'm, I, I saw them this spring, and they performed this song at the concert before they had released it, so I knew what it was when it was coming, and I was still blown away because it's so good. The song is called uh, Why, Why, Why. Uh, if you want more than one song, listen to either of their albums, Connect the Dots or Our Own House. They're amazing, and I love them. Uh, I think they did. They also announce a tour today, like in they addition did. to that. It's because a, I got I, don't, a, I got a notification for it for House of Blues. Yeah, I don't think it's or not House of Blues, Paradise Rock. Yeah, they're, that's where they'll be in Boston. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they've announced all their dates because there's only like ten or fifteen. I imagine the uh-huh. tour's gonna be longer than that. But they did announce a tour and a few dates, and so fingers crossed they come to Texas because they currently do not have Texas listed, and that'll be very sad. Mm. Um, so mine for this week is uh, kind of a departure from a lot of the other stuff that I've said so far. And um, uh, the artist is a DJ called, I believe it's pronounced Elephant. It's like elephant with an E on the end. And he's like a, like a, I guess like a dance, dance pop would be the genre. I don't know exactly how, how dance, be, dance pop, dance, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's like DJ thing, like in the same, in the same vein as stuff like marshmallow and 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 guys like that and he's a little bit not quite as well known but super good songs in my opinion i think the album that's most well known is called a glass mansion highly recommend <clears throat> and tommy if he's still there yeah i'm still here sadly <laughs> um <laughs> wow so i'm gonna like detour slightly here like a lot of people know that i listen to a lot of video game music but not a lot of people realize that i listen to video game music that's not pokemon (laughs) so what i'll say is that Mm -hmm. if you have not played bravely default i recommend playing the game or if not playing it at least listening to the soundtrack because it has by far one of my favorite soundtracks of all time and that's definitely been back on my uh my radar again been listening to a lot of tracks from bravely default definitely recommend that I think mm-hmm. if anyone doesn't know that you listen to a lot of video game music at this point, they're just blatantly not paying attention. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's cool. I like I've know very few video game soundtracks outside of Pokemon myself, so I'll definitely check that out. 
Awesome. Well, uh, Tommy, unless you have any parting words for our audience here, you've got three seconds. Three, two, one. That is going to wrap it up <laughs> for Soundproof this week. And again, a big thank you to Tommy for coming on to our show this week as we continue. And I'm going to uh, replay my broken record here to bring personalized content with our guests every week. And of course, we got to uh, talk with Tommy about two of the teams that he is most well known for and a lot of uh, the thought that goes into it, which I think was really interesting content. So again, big thank you to Tommy. Yay. And of course, thank you to all of you for again joining us for your first or second or third week listening to Soundproof. Um, we enjoy bringing you this content. So again, the more that you listen to it, we're just going to keep pumping them out until you know we have zero views or everybody unfollows our Twitter or something <laughs> like that. Please don't. That, that, that was not an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, again, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Tommy for coming on. We'll be right back to wrap it up. Uh, stay tuned. Right, and thanks again for sticking along with Tommy Watch 2019, their ongoing Tommy coverage. It was great to have him on. I thought uh, we had a lot of good conversation with him. I've been really pleased with all of our guests so far, Jake. Uh, we've had a lot of awesome guest content so far, and I think Tommy was no exception here this week. Definitely, yeah. I think all three of our guests so far have had a lot of really good things to say. Uh, they were very good additions to our little podcast here, and so you know, big thanks to Tommy for coming on to this episode. Uh, like we said, both we're good friends with him he's a really great guy if you don't know him i recommend fixing that because he's a really good person to have around uh and obviously pretty good at pokemon too i hope he doesn't listen to this we don't need to inflate his ego anymore <laughs> <laughs> no we tore uh, him down a little bit while he was on so right. we at least deserve he at least deserves a little bit of edification he's not going to listen all the way through the end right I don't, I don't know. Anyway, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Tommy. And again, thanks to all of you for your continued uh, support of our content here. We really appreciate every single listen that we get. We're going to continue to pump this out. And of course, coming up in two weeks will be uh, our world's preview episode. Yay. So we'll have a lot of content for you guys for that. There's going to be some fun stuff, some serious discussion. And uh, I think that's going to be a, a really cool episode for us. I've been looking forward to it since we launched the podcast. Me too. I think that'll be a really big episode. There's just so much to talk about before Worlds, considering it's such a big tournament. Uh, so much is on the, on the line for everyone involved, and so it'll be really fun to talk about you know, people we might expect to do well, teams we might expect to do well, uh, some like some, maybe some stuff out of left field that might show up. Yeah, I don't know. There's just so much we can talk about, and it's going to be really exciting. So I highly recommend tuning in in two weeks for that Worlds preview episode. Right, so that will do it for us here from episode three of Soundproof. And again, stay tuned in two weeks. And, and really, just again, thanks so much for continuing to support us. And um, again, two weeks from now, and I don't know, I guess this episode, what day is today? Wednesday? Yep. It's Tuesday. Wednesday no, Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday, Tuesday. Okay, so you'll be listening to this in about uh, 48 hours. So uh, again, thanks again. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Yep, be sure to follow us on Twitter at SoundproofCast for all the latest info. Uh, if you need any more info, you can tweet us, message us, uh, either of us individually as well. It doesn't really matter. You'll get one of us either way. Mm -hmm. uh, but thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye.